again, my name's Jeff. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet with you after the service, get to hear a little bit of your story and what brought you to Crossview. Uh, and I did actually want to do a little bit of updating. Uh, we've talked about this throughout the past year, but we've been in a series that's gone a whole year. It will go a whole year by the time we're done. We don't normally do a series that long. And we've gone through each season, but we've been preaching through the church calendar. Uh, we will stop with the preaching the gospel text every Sunday when we get to Advent. We'll still do Advent this year because it's part of, we kind of do Advent, Christmas, and Lent, and Easter every year regardless. Um, We'll probably be in the prophets. We'll be talking about hope during Advent. And then in January, I'm still, don't hold me to this, but I'm leaning towards doing a series on the Old Testament law. That'd be interesting. Maybe the book of Deuteronomy. You can pray for me if I do that. I think it's going to be a lot of work. Um, but that's kind of where we're going. But we're, we have a few more, actually, months where we're going through the gospel text. And I want to remind you, why are we doing this? Why are we taking the time to preach through the church calendar like this? Well, one, and you can kind of even see it with our graphic, we, we've been trying to think, what do we, what's really in the, in the middle as we're arranging our time? <laughs> Excuse me, as we're putting our schedules together. And what would it look like to have Jesus be the center of how we think about time, how we arrange our time, how we put our schedules together? So that's been a big piece. But I've also been presenting this to you as a discipleship tool. And if this is interesting for you, I, we made cards there in the back. You can grab one on that table on your way out. But it has this graphic on the front and then kind of a little explanation that I'm going to run through right here. How we've been talking about this. I know some of you are newer to Crossview or haven't been here. And, um, so this is why we're doing the church calendar. Uh, Advent is historically a season of waiting. And so when we enter into Advent, we enter and we practice waiting on God. Why? Because if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you will be in a season where you find yourself waiting on God. Amen? That happens. And so we practice waiting in Advent so that when we enter these seasons where we're waiting on God, we're not surprised by it. Oh, I've been practicing. I practice this every year. I know how to wait on God. And as we practice the church calendar every year, which I, we won't do it all every year as a, as a church like we've done this past year, but I'd still do this in, in my prayer time. I, I pray the gospel text for the, for the week in my prayer time. I, I still kind of follow the church calendar. I keep track of it. And I've learned, turns out, that every year Advent leads into Christmas, <laughs> There's never been an Advent that didn't end in Christmas. And what happens at Christmas? God comes! And God arrives. And He arrives in surprising ways. He arrives in humble ways. He's a baby in a manger. But He always comes. And so we know I'm waiting on God. But I know He's going to come. And it'll probably be surprising. It won't be the way I'm expecting. And so we practice that. And then God comes. And what does He do? He reveals Himself. That's what Epiphany is. God is revealing Himself in pretty, in pretty incredible ways. Usually the gospel texts are the baptism of Jesus or the transfiguration. I love the transfiguration. Or the temptation in the world. These powerful stories revealing who God is, revealing who Jesus is to us. And we get really excited, right? We're waiting. God comes. We get excited. He's revealed. And then we're following Jesus, and he says, you got to take up your cross. And that's what Lent is. It's a reminder every year that following Jesus means there's going to be suffering. <laughs> it's going to cost you. We actually talked about that last week. It's going to cost you. And that's hard. And I know we don't like to hear it, but if you practice the church calendar every year, guess what? Lent always goes to Easter, <laughs> It's cool like that, right? And you may be dying to self, but Jesus is going to resurrect you. He's bringing about new life, new opportunities. And so, so we practice this. And then comes, we, we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You can read about it in Acts 2, or you can experience it if you're not a Christian. The moment you give your life to Jesus, receive his forgiveness, what he did for you on the cross, acknowledge him as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit enters into your heart, <laughs> 
And he equips you to do good work, to glorify Jesus. But now we're in the biggest part of the church calendar. It's the color green. I guess I wore Pentecost colors today, but I was sporting my NIU shirt for you NIU students. But, but green is ordinary time. And it's the biggest part of the church calendar. Why? Because most of our life is ordinary, isn't it? So we practice. What does it mean to be, I mean, to be a living temple of the living God and live an ordinary life? So we practice that. So that's, why, that's what we're doing. That's why we spent a whole year doing this, to try to learn the rhythm. And you can use it as you will, but I find it to be very helpful. Now, as I said, I've been preaching the gospel text each week. I've been following the Book of Common Prayer, and I've been pretty good about it. And I've given myself permission. I think there might be a couple weeks coming up where I'm going to do a different text just because it's a text that I've preached kind of recently here, and I want to do something different. And I thought about it today. I thought about it today because today we're in Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. Very, very familiar passage. Um, even if you're newer to church, you may have heard these stories before and didn't know where they came from. Very familiar passage. And I almost did a different because if you've been a part of Cross, you last summer, my friend Jeff Griffin was here, if you remember. Do you remember Jeff? He's the senior pastor at Compass Church in Naperville, and he preached on these verses. And it was awesome. And part of me was like, do I want to preach the same thing Jeff preached that was awesome? I don't know. <laughs> little secret, though, when you get invited to other churches, you always bring a, a sermon you know is really good. <laughs> You've done more than once. Plus, Jeff is just a gifted communicator. I love Jeff. It's not a competition. But I was like, do I want to preach the same thing Jeff just preached a year ago, or do, should, should we do something else? But I was like, I think I, think I, I sat with a text. I kind of wrestled with it, and I was like, I want to preach this text. We're gonna, so we're going to go through Luke chapter 15. And if you were with us the last couple weeks, and if not, you can read on your own. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says some hard things, right? talking about the cost. You can't be his disciples unless you do these certain things, like a high cost, and it comes with great challenge. But if you, we talk about Jesus calibrating, love is calibrating grace and truth. And so, and so Jesus is often a rhythm of inviting and challenging, inviting and challenging. So Luke 14 is a whole lot of challenge. Luke 15 is a lot of invitation. It's, it, God, he's, Jesus is almost comforting us after what, what he challenged us with in chapter 14. So we're going to read Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. Again, pretty straightforward story. I'll say a few things, uh, but pretty straightforward. I love how the, this translation begins. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Don't you you want to be a notorious sinner, my word. Often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, the scribes, complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And some people have said the gospel of Luke is just one big meal. Jesus just goes from meal to meal to meal. He's always eating with people, hanging out. Well, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law are kind of upset with who Jesus is hanging out with. And so Jesus tells them this story, very, very famous story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. I'll just pause there because, again, most of the details I think you'll get, but this might be, why, well, why is he doing that? And I don't know, I'm not a shepherd, but I was reading an author who had interviewed shepherds who live in this part of the world, and, and they said, no, it's pretty common. Like, if a sheep gets detached from the flock, it will get paralyzed, <laughs> And you can't lead it back to the flock, so you do have to put it on your shoulders and carry it back. And I just thought that was interesting. Even, you know, some of these pictures are, you know, just pictures of pointing us to Jesus. But here, here the shepherd is going to have to carry a burden home 
And he's, a, he's excited. He's joyful to do it. Do you see that? It's the heart of the good shepherd. He's joyful to do it. And there, there is a sense as you get to know Jesus that whenever he's doing something, well, he is love, the embodiment of love. So he's always doing something in love. But, there, but I would say it this way. Whenever he's doing something in love, there's nothing beneath that. There's nothing degrading to Jesus if he's doing it for someone he loves. That, what a picture of your, you know, what we call him Lord and Master and King. I mean, that's unique. There's nothing beneath this. This Jesus, he's amazing. So when he found it, he carefully, joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors as a big part, saying, Rejoice! There's a lot of joy in this. Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So we'll get into this. Who's the lost sinner who repents and the 99 who've never strayed away. And then he's going to intensify it. So he's kind of making the same point, but he's going to, instead of 100, now we've got 10. And instead of, uh, you know, just fields and fields and lots of land, we've got a little house. So maybe there's a little bit more even confidence or assurance that they're going to find what they're looking for. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Very valuable. We could talk about why, but very valuable to her. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when, if you were here a year ago when, when Jeff preached this, he actually had a picture of a first century house. And it was a good, like I thought it was helpful because there's no electricity, there's no lights. You just only have light coming in through the window and there's dirt on the ground. It's not like your house at home unless you have dirt on the ground and that's okay. But there's dirt on the ground. And so you're, you're trying to figure out where is this coin and how to get buried, right? It was a helpful picture. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice, because I found my lost coin. Lots of joy in these texts. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So there you go. There's our text this morning. And I, um, I want to start with these first two verses. This is kind of what drew me in. Uh, let, let me start. I'll, I'll start with this way. I, the first church I served in as a pastor was an EFCA church in Kansas City. It was a larger church. We had a larger staff. Um, and we were trying to do something new to engage a different part of the Kansas City population. And so we were trying to do this Sunday night service. And we, we, we constructed it very differently. And a lot, I won't go into all the details, but, but, but we did a 20-minute sermon. Don't be too excited about it. It was a 20-minute sermon. And then we did a, a, a question and answer panel after it. And so whoever preached that, it was a rotating team, whoever preached that Sunday was on the panel, and then two other pastors were on the panel. Again, we had a larger staff. And so every Sunday we did this, and I remember one Sunday that I was just, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this text in these first couple of verses. I think my friend Bill was preaching that Sunday, and he was preaching a gospel text where, kind of like this, you have lots of people drawn to Jesus. I mean, I, I really am paying attention in, the, in this polarizing time that we live in right now. I'm paying attention to the text where different people are drawn to Jesus. What is it about Jesus? And I remember somebody asking a question when I was on the panel. It's always kind of a little nerve-wracking, right? Any question could be asked. What do you, and somebody asked the question, why were so many people drawn to Jesus in that day? Why were people flooding? Why were these crowds coming? And it was funny because Bill and the other person up there, they both looked at me and I was like, I guess I got to answer this one. 
And so I took the mic, but I just remember saying, I think people were drawn to Jesus then for the same reason I am today, <laughs> because there's nobody like him. Because, as I like to say, if you get to know Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, you have nothing to hide. So all that energy you've been wasting on pretending to, to be somebody you're not, you don't have to do that anymore, because you can just rest with who you are. You don't have to hide anymore with Jesus. You have nothing to fear. All that anxiety, 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 yeah. All that anxiety and worry that you've been carrying around. All those fears go away. You know, you don't have any fear in the pre- because because you know Jesus is in control. Because you trust in His power and His goodness, and so you don't have to be afraid anymore. Heaven's always saying to the earth, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid." In Jesus, you have nothing to prove. We'll even talk about that as we talk about value. But you have nothing to prove. You don't have to perform. You don't have to put together a resume of why you're worthy of love. He already loves you. As, we'll, as we see in these stories, he goes looking for you when you're lost. <laughs> At his own, on, on his own account, you know. And you have no one to please. He already loves you. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees who you really are, but he also sees who you can be, who you were meant to be, and who you want to be. That's what Jesus sees. And so there's nobody like, so people were drawn to Jesus because he's bringing wholeness and health and healing and hope and joy and purpose and peace, but he still does it today. (laughs) That's why you're at church, because there's no one like Jesus. And even if you don't even know why you're at church, maybe your first Sunday in church, you just tuned in online, you don't even, you've been drawn in. So I love these first couple verses because Jesus is, is drawing in different people. So you've got the tax collectors and what are called here the notorious sinners, who I think are, are, are they're lost. I mean, they're, they're obviously lost and they're, they're looking for meaning and purpose. And they've been drawn to Jesus because they see something in him and, and he sees something in them that no one else, I mean, there's a lot going on. But then you've also got the Pharisees who are also lost, right? The big difference is that the tax collectors and the sinners know they're lost and the Pharisees don't think they're lost. <laughs> and that's what frustrates Jesus as you read through the Gospels. Now, if you're, again, if you're new to church, the tax collectors, so you can put yourself back in time. The Jewish people are, are oppressed by their Roman overlords. And they are being taxed by their oppressors. And the tax collectors are Jewish people who have basically sold out their brothers and sisters. And they are working for the oppressor Rome. And not only that, they are very wealthy because they have to, they have to get a certain amount of money for Rome. But whatever they get above that, they get to pocket. And so they're not only working for the Roman oppressors, but they're stealing from their Jewish brothers and sisters, right? So they are, I mean, again, that's why they're called out alongside the notorious sinners. They are the, the least liked people, maybe, in Israel in this time. So you've got, you've got that group, and you've got the Pharisees, and they're all being drawn together. And the Pharisees are grumbling. I like this. They're complaining. They're, they're upset. They don't like what they see, but they're still grumbling to Jesus. <laughs> They're not like talking about it, but they're they're coming and talking. Again, there's something that's drawing everybody to Jesus. Different people are coming to Jesus. And I even feel like, and I'll, I'll try to make this, but I think the Pharisees long for that connection with Jesus, but they don't even necessarily even know it. And so they draw near, but they grumble. 
Let me give you a, a picture of what I mean, and then I'll try to articulate this a little bit better. But I, I was listening to a dad talk about, kind of giving a similar scenario, but he was talking about how he has a couple kids. And one of his kids, and they like to watch football together. But he has the right, NFL football today. They, they like to watch football. But his youngest kid, is too young, wasn't really into football. And so one time he was sitting on the couch watching a game with one of his kids, and the youngest kid wants, wants dad's attention, Right? And so he, he crawls up on dad's lap and he basically takes dad's arm and wraps dad's arms around him. And he basically has dad looking right in his eyes and he's got all dad's attention. And dad is listening. He says, dad, why aren't you giving me attention? <laughs> of course, dad's sitting there thinking, how could I not be giving you more attention? You're on my lap. I'm looking in your eyes and I'm listening to everything you have to say. But it's a picture of somebody who longs for that connection. They know they want that connection, and it comes out as complaint and grumbling. <laughs> I, I think some of that is happening here with the Pharisees. They see Jesus caring for others, and they want to be cared for like that. Not only do they want to be cared for because we all have that longing, but they, the Pharisees actually, they, they want to do God's will. And I think they want to be the kind of people who care for others, but they're so wrapped up in their laws and their regulations and the way you're supposed to do things that they have almost lost the skill to care for people. That's why Jesus is always challenging them with compassion, compassion, compassion. The Pharisees are lost. And can you imagine, I mean, I'm just thinking about these times that we live in, these polarizing times. Can you imagine if our churches were able to draw all kinds of different people like this? To be a place where people are drawn to Jesus, to be a safe place where maybe people don't understand Jesus. I mean, I think how many places are there where you can actually come and be treated with respect and dignity and kindness and patience and love, but also maybe not fully agree on everything? <laughs> I mean, can the, can the church be that kind of place? What would happen today if Christians made people ask, why would you do something like that? Whatever that might be, why would you do something like that? And the appropriate answer would be to tell stories like Jesus tells about the heart of God seeking the lost. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think the world longs for spaces like this. And I'm always trying to pay attention to how Jesus, to how Jesus handles these situations because I want to be like Jesus. And both of these stories he tells, right, they end with celebrations. They end with parties. And, and you know this is true. And I think this is some of what the Pharisees are struggling with, is why they're grumbling. If a, if a person has a party or they're celebrating something, they're being really loud, they're dancing, they're singing, they're celebrating, and you don't understand why, it's kind of annoying, isn't it? <laughs> why are you celebrating? That doesn't even make sense. Because the Pharisees have lost touch with the heart of God. They don't understand the celebration. And what Jesus is telling, I think, in these stories is that, you know, whenever a sinner repents, even one, there's a party going on. All heaven is having a party. The angels are joining in. And if you don't join in as well, you're out of tune with what God is really doing in the world. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to the Pharisees, join the party. Because heaven's celebrating, why don't you join in? And I was thinking about it, you have to deal with Jesus is having this party. And I, and I think you, because we love the us versus them, right? So I think that the tax collectors and the notorious sinners, 
see the Pharisees come with their critical judgmental attitude, and they're like, there goes the party. Oh, man. And the Pharisees are like, and I mean, if you write a good story about the Pharisees, they really want the party of God to come. They just think you have to be morally perfect before it comes. So they're like, well, why don't these guys clean up their act so the party can begin? So both sides think, you're ruining the party. But what I love about the presence of Jesus is his party is never ruined. He's friends with the tax collectors, he's friends with the sinners, and he's friends with the Pharisees. Come grumble to me if you must. And I want to learn how to have that kind of presence. I'm wondering, I mean, I just think through the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm wondering, can we learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus, to be a people who actually operate kindness? I think the world needs a little kindness. It's a fruit of the Spirit gentleness, patience with one another. Can we do, can we, can we actually do, or do we have to be like so reactive all the time? Because if you're chill, Jesus is fine. And if you're not chill, Jesus is fine. Maybe we can learn, church, to be a little bit more like Jesus. <laughs> I think the world is longing for that. Well, let's get to these stories a little bit more directly. And I don't, I don't want to over, I mean, that's always a temptation with the parables. People, you, you want to over explain it and kind of like, but, but Jesus tells the story and just moves on. He doesn't explain it at all. And so I never want to over explain it because I want, I mean, he's teaching with story on purpose. I want you to sit with the story. Maybe you revisit the story a couple times. Maybe you pray through the story. What does God want to say to you through these stories that he's told us? But I, but I will make one point that I think is pretty clear, even reading in scholarship. I mean, it's pretty clear that what this parable is teaching us is what God values. That the lost are valuable to God. <laughs> it's a story of value, right? Because, be, because you've got to tap into those moments when you've been frantically find, trying to find something that you desperately want in that moment. What made it valuable in that moment? I didn't tell my mom I was going to do this, so if you're listening online, mom, sorry. But my mom is known for never knowing where her keys are when it's time to leave. And somehow she manages to put them in the pocket that she knows she will check last when she goes looking for them, right? So while we're hanging out, while we're talking, while we're eating dinner, while we're playing cards, the keys are not valuable. My mom doesn't want to go anywhere. She is content to be where she is. But when it's time to go, those keys become very valuable, right? And so it's frantic. And my mom does not like to be late. And so we got to find them now. And everybody jumps in. We got to help grandma, right, Jay? We got to help grandma find the keys. Where are the keys? Grandma lost her keys again. But it's that, that's, that's the passion that's being communicated, right? Something is lost that is valuable to God. And he is frantically searching for it. That's why, um, you know, we've talked a bit about this uh, from time to time. But value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay, right? That's how we determine value. What, what Jesus is saying is when you're lost, he is willing to stop everything to go find you. I mean, that's the picture. You're in your car, you're driving away, and you realize you don't have your cell phone, right? You're, gonna pull, you're not going to keep driving. I'm going to pull off the road until I figure out, is it in the car or do I need to go back? Because I need my cell phone, right? It's valuable, so everything stops until you find it. 
or I've said this before, I, I like to say this, because I think we wrestle with our own value in the world that we live in. There's a lot attacking us about what makes us worthy or significant. I like to say this to you, Jesus thinks you're so valuable, he gave his life for yours. Jesus took your place on the cross. That's what he did. And he was joyful to do it. That's what the text says. <laughs> he was joyful to do it. He willfully gave himself up so that you and I had life. Forgave us from our sins. I mean, that's how valuable you are. In other words, don't get caught up with the Pharisees thinking you're not valuable until you're all cleaned up and perfect. Because Jesus says, uh-uh. No, actually, when you're lost, it's almost as if you're not valuable. I mean, it's almost like because you're lost, you're valuable. I mean, you're valuable anyway because you've been made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God makes you valuable. He loves you. And he's seeking out the lost. And then there's joy where there probably wouldn't have been. I was reading, one of you uh, gave me a book called Unoffendable. One of you who is in here this, right now, I think. Give me this book, Unoffendable, by Brent Hansen. I was checking it out just because I was like just looking to see what he had to say about even just pol the polarization and, and what we're dealing with, some of the conflict that we have in our world today. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good, he's a funny writer. But he ends with this illustration, and I thought it was kind of cool. He said he, he took his, his son to go play flag football. And he knows nothing about football. He knows nothing about flag football. He was just dropping his son off for the first practice, and nobody could coach the team. So everybody's trying to talk one of the parents into coaching. He said, I, th I think two or three times, I'm not coaching. I'm not your coach. I'm not coaching. And then one kid came up to him and said, can I call you coach just for today? <laughs> he said, I couldn't say no. He ended up coaching. He said, we were the worst team ever. O and 11. And what happens in game 12? The O and 11 team plays the 11 and O team. So he said, we start out in this final game of the season, 0-11, the Rams, versus 11-0, some other team. And he said, we got the ball first, and we marched down the field, and we scored a touchdown. You should have seen the jaws, right? 6-0, 0-11 is beating 11-0. He said, we were up 6-0. I had to go for two. Didn't get it. Got scored 77-0 the rest of the game. <laughs> Lost 77-6. He said his kids were a little dejected, right? It's a bad game, 0-12. But then a stretch limo with Rams flags pulls up next to the field. And one of the moms says, all right, Rams, go get in the limo. It's time for our end of the season party. He said, you should have seen the change in those kids. Nobility and royalty as they walk to the limousine. And the team that was 12 and 0 was like, why don't we get a limo? But you, but you get a pair of the, the so-called losers. The ones that lost. There's a party and a celebration because Jesus, his kingdom is rearranging everything. He's, we rethink everything now in light of Jesus Christ. He's doing something different and he's bringing a party. Or just to get you thinking, even just to feel some of the story. And, and I think some of what Jesus is even driving at to, to make you think a little bit. One author says this, the prudent shepherd would let the thick-headed rebel sacrifice itself to protect the 99. Why would you leave 99 to get one? But Jesus is revealing something to us about the normal love of God. It is a new standard of love. It should make you rethink what love really is, the heart of God. 
Or another author says this. Maybe he's pushing it a little far, but I, I like it. I think you'll get the sense. While it may or may not be true that shepherds in Jesus' day had that kind of devotion to individual members of their flocks, this parable can hardly be interpreted as a helpful hint for running a successful sheep ranching business. The most likely result of going off in pursuit of one lost sheep will only be 99 more lost sheep. Accordingly, I think it best to assume that Jesus is parabolically thumping the tub for the saving paradox of lostness. He implies, it seems to me, that even if all 100 sheep should get lost, it will not be a problem for this bizarrely good shepherd because he is first and foremost in the business of finding the lost, not of making a messianic buck off the unstrayed. Give him a world with a hundred out of every hundred souls lost. Give him, in other words, the world full of so-called losers that is the only real world we have, and it will do just fine. Lostness is exactly his cup of tea. It's the heart of God to seek and save the lost. That's his heart for you. And part, and I think, I mean, there's different ways. This is the beauty of a parable is, Again, it's like I've, I've said this before and I've preached parables. I might preach it differently in five years, right? Jesus, he tells these stories and it's just masterful. But I was kind of wrestling with, I think part of what's going on with this parable, and even, if it, even, if, even it goes back to the earliest church fathers, but, but part of the parable, I think Jesus is, and, I, and I'm going to try to make this clear, you and I are always the one that is lost. We're never the 99 that hasn't done anything wrong, right? We're always the one that is lost. The early church fathers wrestled with this. They said the 99 were the angels. <laughs> I don't know if I would go there, but, but the point is, but who, who really is, is the one that's never, never gone astray? We're always the one that is lost. Which means, which means that every time any of us repents, there's a party in heaven. Now, I, I thought, I had a couple different ways that I could go. I, I thought about leaning into the missional impulse. If the heart of God is to seek and save the lost, and if we want to know the abundant life of Jesus, we're made in the image of God, we need to be a people who value seeking and saving the lost. But we have this missions weekend coming up in two weekends, and I'm, I'm sure we will hear plenty of stories around that, and we will celebrate it and excite, be excited about it. So I thought I'd focus in a little bit more about how you and I are always the one. Regardless of where you are, we're always the one that Jesus is seeking out and finding. Because if you and I can come to terms with that, we will be able to live a life of seeking, and, seeking out the lost around us. Right? You might get motivated by a good story to do something nice for someone else, but you won't maintain that. But if you recognize that God saved you when you were lost, you will want to pay it forward. And so you will do so out of joy and gratitude. And you'll join the party. So I want to talk a little bit about how you and I are always the one. And I'm going to do this in kind of a funny way, but first service liked it, so hopefully you do. I'm going to mention a, a, a kind of a more current movie and then an older song. Over Sabbatical, uh, again, thank you for the gift of Sabbatical. Over Sabbatical, one of the movies our family watched. We didn't watch a lot of movies, but one of the movies we watched was Sing 2. Sing, Sing 2? I saw Sing, I like Sing, I didn't know what Sing 2 was about, but cartoon characters, they're these animals and they do fun music, right? I didn't know what Sing 2 was about, but there's a new character in Sing 2 and it's a lion played by Bono. 
And so there's all kinds of U2 songs and sing too. And I got really excited. I, I don't know, I just love the songs. I listened to the soundtrack again and sing too, these cartoon characters singing. Bono singing these songs. And I had heard someone say not that long ago that U2 is just a Christian band disguised as a rock band. And I've been playing with that for a while. So for the last six weeks, I have listened to all of U2's albums at least once. Some more than once, just because I wanted to listen. I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm a U2 expert at all. But I will tell you, there's a lot of gospel in their songs. <laughs> Uh, and they sing directly about it. They sing with all kinds of biblical imagery. There is a light. Don't let it go out, right? Uh, they, 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 they sing about the cross. They mention Jesus. And, when, and, I, and I've noticed this because I listen to songs on the radio. When songs on the radio sing about love, it's usually very, very surfacey, very flat, very uninspiring. When you two sings about love, I think they understand Jesus' love, <laughs> And it's deep and it's profound. I mean, I, I just, I'm just saying, I, I've been listening to you two more than ever recently, and it's been fun. So I want to present to you, I've been listening to you two a lot, and so we're, this, this, these stories are about finding what is lost, and, and I couldn't help it. I, was just, I just kept thinking about their first track on Joshua Tree, still haven't found what I'm looking for. Let me read to you some of the lyrics, not all the lyrics, but this is how it goes. I have... I have run, I've climbed highest mountains, I have run through the fields only to be with you. And it raises the question, who's the with you that they're singing about? Well, just keep listening. <laughs> I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But this is how it ends. You tell me what he's singing about. <laughs> I believe in the kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Christian group disguised as a rock band. I've always been drawn to those lyrics and even been thinking about them recently. I think... Bono's getting at something there that is what we experience, right? I mean, some of you are here maybe today because you're exploring, you're really looking, you're really searching. You haven't found what you're looking for, and I'm excited to say Jesus is everything your heart longs for. And if today is the day where you meet Jesus for the first time, I want to celebrate that with you. It's a party in heaven. But I know most of you already know Jesus, but isn't there still something that resonates in these words? Because I've found Jesus, and I'm, 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 I know Jesus is sufficient, but I still can kind of sing with Bono. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Why? Because I go astray. Because I still get lost sometimes. And I still need Jesus to find me. And I'm still a repentant sinner. <laughs> I actually was preaching this first service. I wasn't thinking about this as much, but somebody shared with me uh, just, just about 20 minutes ago, 30, maybe 30 minutes ago now, maybe 40, I don't know, a while ago, before the service. <laughs> but they said, I want to be exact, right? You got to be right while you're right. But they, but they said, you know, Jeff, I have often confessed my sin. I've been a repentant sinner, but I usually just wallow in it. I don't have joy. But you're telling me that every time there's a repentant sinner, there's a party in heaven? 
maybe I need to start accessing that joy because if heaven's celebrating, maybe I want to be a part of that. I want you to think about that this morning. You've gone astray. You haven't always found what you're looking for, right? Because we go astray. We think, okay, Jesus, you're good, and then we get distracted. Actually, this is why we need suffering, because things start going well and we start taking control, right? And you can even see both sides in the two groups here in Luke 15. You've got, you've got the Pharisees who do what a lot of religious groups do when they lose sight of God. They make everything about keeping the right rules and they lose sight of compassion and God and loving people. And when Jesus, when God is standing right in front of them, they don't see him. The Pharisees have gone astray. Religious communities can go astray get caught up in keeping all the rules and lose the heart of God. But then you've got these notorious sinners. Why are they notorious? Because they've made life all about me. And I live in the same world you live in. I know how easy it is to go astray, to start thinking, well, what's in it for me? When can I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it? But the moment you and I start, and you, you will, you'll be tempted to indulge in yourself You've gone astray and you're lost and you need Jesus to come find you. But guess what? He will. He loves you. You're valuable to him. Amen? That's the heart of God. So we're going to close our time. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for, for Jesus to forgive us as repentant sinners. And there's going to be a party. And we're going to continue to follow Jesus and we're going to say, yes, Jesus is sufficient. He's always sufficient. He's all that I need. But from time to time I get distracted and I try something else and, and it might work for a little bit, but it doesn't keep working because only Jesus is, what did we sing? Faithful, faithful, faithful. And all your promises are yes and amen. That's only true for Jesus. You go astray, you follow something else, you get lost and now you're lost. How'd I end up here? I lost sight of Jesus, and now I'm, I'm, in the, I'm off the path, and I need him to come get me and put him on his shoulders, and he will, joyfully, and take you home. It's the heart of God. So, we follow Jesus, but there's something humble about saying, it's, it, keeps us, it keeps us honest, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yes, Jesus is what I'm looking for, but I'm still learning. I'm still growing. He's still teaching me. I don't have Jesus all figured out just yet. But the more I learn about Jesus, the more I know he's all I need. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray a prayer of confession. You can pray with me if you will. If it's your first time maybe talking to Jesus, I'm going to also just kind of lead you in some things that you could say. And then we'll sing one more song celebrating what Christ did for us on the cross. And we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry. And get this, church. We humbly repent. Party in heaven! For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Because that's your heart. You want to. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will. Join in the party. Walk in your ways because your ways are the right ways, the best ways for your glory. So Jesus, some of us have said hello to you many years ago, and we, we do want to confess 
We are repentant sinners looking for grace, and we want to join in the party. But it's possible that there are some of us here this morning that this is our first time really talking to you. We don't know what to say, but there's something stirring us. Others might call it the Holy Spirit. We don't know what it is. Something's stirring in us. We're new to this. But we want to respond to you, Jesus. We, we believe that you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. We acknowledge you as Savior and Lord. We want to follow you wherever you take us. Because we know in you we'll find everything that we could need. So Jesus, hear our prayer and bring us to the party. In your name we pray.